Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turna. Once you use a Turna Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot this is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Folks, it's officially that time. The year's third Grand Slam, the 2022 Championships at Wimbledon, now less than one week away from its start date. As such, what we're going to do over the course of the next week here at Cracked Rackets, as we do before each and every Grand Slam we see competed in on the ATP and WTA Tours, is break it down from every angle, talk about every aspect of the year's third Grand Slam you could hope to hear heading into the event. Of course, what does that mean? It means we're going to break it down by category. As always, we'll talk about the top five contenders to take home the men's and women's singles titles. Of course, we'll talk about the dark horses. We'll look at the Americans, examine the draws as they come out later in the week as well. The anticipation for uh, in the week leading up to a Grand Slam, always at its highest. As such, we know here at Cracked Rackets, it's our obligation to ensure you remain the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. As such, again, got a plethora of podcasts for you on this feed this week to help break it all down. And to start off the week, we're going to start with some top five contenders. We're going to focus on the women's singles draw. And certainly, there's a lot of hype around Iga Sviantek in this moment. Justifiably so. She's won 35 consecutive matches, has been head and shoulders above the rest of the field really since the start of the Middle East swing on this 2022 WTA season. But of course, Iga Sviantek's played fewer than 20 grass court matches in her career. She did not participate in a single warm-up event leading into the 2022 Wimbledon as such. Is she your unequivocal top contender? 
contender, favorite entering the tournament? Or should we look to other players, perhaps players who have had success of late, perhaps players who have a track record of grass court success? Those are the questions we're going to try to answer here on today's show. And of course, if you're going to try and answer a question as big as who are the five most likely women to win the singles title at the 2022 Wimbledon, you better have some help along the way. Thankfully, I will have help on each and every podcast here this week. And joining me for our premier Wimbledon preview podcast is a voice all of you listeners will be familiar with as he's a returning champion here on our Crack Racket show. Someone you know from his work writing on our website, crackrackets.com, writing for last word on tennis, writing for the Action Network. Of course, you may know his All About Tennis blog as well. Of course, we here at Crack Note Rackets know him as our friend, David Gertler. David, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing today? Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. The viewers might be familiar with me, but they might, they might not like my takes. So, <laughs> we'll, so we'll see how this goes, right? I, I'm an honored to be in your premier podcast for Wimbledon. Well, uh, look, I, again, I, I only turn to David's at this point. It's either Gertler or Kane. I think that's our listeners know. That's what they're going to get here moving forward. And look, I think what listeners always enjoy about having you on this show, David, is you are not afraid to express when you disagree with me or disagree disagree with a broad consensus that seems to have emerged. And of course, again, shout out to our friends at Turner Grip, email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. Turner, the sponsor of our Great Shot podcast. We are so grateful to have them here supporting all of our work show in, show out. But let's get right into it because I feel like if anyone's going to zig where we're all zagging, David, it might be you on Iga Sviantek. And just to set the scene quickly for our listeners before we get into question number one, because we're coming in hot here today, David. We're not wasting any time. Let's get into the big picture topic here. And again, we're focusing on our top five contenders for the 2022 Wimbledon title. Now, even before we factor in injuries, David, here's who's not going to be playing at the 2022 Wimbledon. We will not have last year's finalist, Arena Sabalenka. We will not have players like a Marquette, uh, uh, excuse me, like a um, uh, Veronica Kudermatova, like an Ekaterina Alexandrova. There will be, you know, all the Belarusian, all the Russian players banned from the 2022 Wimbledon, and I know that's a separate topic we've yet to discuss, but again, right off the bat, you've got those three names. You've got a Victoria Azarenka. She will not be playing in this 2022 Wimbledon as well, and while she may not have been the biggest factor in this 2022 WTA season, certainly her experience pedigree on these courts, those sorts of things matter. Again, there just will be players, a Kasakina, a Kudermatova, the Alexandrovas of the world, even the big hitters like the Samsonovas a little bit further down the rankings. We will have some significant absences from this field. Of course, it's also worth noting that there was no grass court season during the 2020, uh, 2020 and uh, during the 2020 season as such. Again, players who have yet to play more than 20 matches in their career on grass court. Iga Sviantek has played fewer than 20. You know, you look at someone like uh, Paula Bedosa, she's played exactly 20. Coco Goffs, Leila Fernandez's of the world, obviously an Emma Raducanu as well. All of these young players, these next generation of female talent who have emerged over the past couple of seasons, all of them, 
have played fewer than 20 career grass court matches. So we really don't have that big of a sample size to turn to. That said, we'll start right away with our friends at DraftKings. You look right now at the odds. Top contender to take home the 2022 Wimbledon title. It's Iga Sviantek and it's Iga by a mile right now, David. Iga plus uh, uh, 150 uh. versus the rest of the field. Next closest, you have Goff plus 900, Jabour 11 to 1. Then you get a Serena at 16 to 1, which is just in terms of delightful. Shout out to anyone who's betting Serena 16 to 1. You have Huevos that I will never match but what let's, about? Oh, sorry. Goff, go ahead here. What about golf being the same? What well, planet is that on? We'll get. We'll get to that. We'll get to and that in about, a moment, David. Viatek plus one fifty. I mean, I so so that's where I want to start. So so let's start there right away. And again, you look for Iga Sviantek. No chaser here, David. We're coming in hot. Obviously, Iga's won thirty-five consecutive matches. Not only has she won those thirty-five consecutive matches, she's blitzing just about everyone. And yes, she is a former junior Wimbledon champion. But with all of that said, so David. So is Potipova, right? Exactly. Uh, Iga Sviantek, 7-5. Seven 7-5 and five. Seven and five in yeah. her career on grass court. She's played 12 total matches. She's plus 150 against the field. David, is that an overreaction? Where are you with the world number one and number one seed heading into this Wimbledon? You know, every day I feel like I debate this. Because every I day. I agree. This is the question right now. Because when you look at her grass court ELO, it is ELO rating. It is the second highest uh, among active players. I look at what she she's played since 2019, six matches on grass. Um, she is four and two. She lost to Kazakina last year in Eastbourne. And she lost in three sets to Owens Jabor at Wimbledon. But she got smoked in the last two sets. Uh, 6-1, 6-1 in the second and third sets. She hasn't, like you mentioned at the top, she hasn't played on grass all year. Um, she had the emotional, you know, French Open final uh, being her most recent match. Her game kind of, it's it'll be fine on grass. Obviously, she can hit through the court. Her backhand looks improved, but is her neck game spectacular? Does she have the spectacular touch or, you know, the, the slices that make me think grass quarter? No. But at the same time, is she so good that it might not matter? Yes. So that's kind of where, in my head, the debate goes. What are, how are you, plus 150, though? That seems a little optimistic. Well, here's the thing, is if it's not, that is a testament to them saying, well, if it's not Ega, who are you going to pick? Because uh, if you give Ega lesser odds than that, everyone's going to hit that number, right? Again, Ega Sviantek. It's not as though, and you mentioned the seven and five, the big number you're certain everyone's grappling on to is the fact that she did make the Wimbledon round of 16 last year, right? And she did ultimately lose a three-set match to yeah. own Shabur, who it's worth noting right now has the highest grass court ELO yes. rating of any player on the WTA Tour. You also look at the other loss. Again, Kasatkina in Eastbourne last season. If memory serves me correctly, Kasatkina was either, uh, I think was a semifinalist, maybe a quarterfinalist there, but Kasatkina has been a rock solid on the grass courts throughout the course of her career. You look for Kasaki, now just a quick tangent here, but 20 and 12 for her in her career on grass courts. There wasn't a bad loss for Ika on the grass courts last season, but you disagree. Push back. I will say we can say that 
it was a three set loss for Sviatek against Jabor. But I feel like, you know, given that she won five of 20 second set, second serve points in yeah. the last two sets of her um, match against Jabor, and she was only she never broke serve in those sets and Jabor won over 85% of her first serve points in both the second and third sets. It sure. She won a tight first set, but that wasn't a close match. Once Jabor turned the screws, that was that. Um, and you like, you, you stole my thunder. Uh, you said that uh, Jabor has the highest grass court Elo. It's hard. If, if you mentioned, if not Sviatek, then who for me, it's own Shaboring. Well, I'm going to ask you pause there because I want to get I want to get to that conversation. I promise we're going to be talking about okay. Shabor today. I teased it hard because obviously own Shabor won the title last week uh, on the WTA tour, and I recap that on Monday for the mini break podcast feed. And I told all the listeners just I'm not going to go into I don't want to waste all of my information on owns because we're going to have a serious conversation about her with David Gertler on our top five contenders <laughs> podcast. So I want to get to that point of the conversation, but you brought up. Up, excellent point there for Iga Swiatek against Onjabur. And for Iga Swiatek, again, she's one of two players this season who ranks top 10 in both hold and break percentage on the WTA Tour. Can you guess the second player, by the way, David, who's top 10 in both hold and break percentage this year? Oh, man. It's got to it's be Coco Gauff. <laughs> it, it, that's funny. Um, no, it's Simona Halep, actually. Okay. Who's at that's interesting. Two. I wouldn't yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think that one is interesting, and we can get back to that name in a little bit as well. But look, there haven't been weaknesses for Iga this season. I, I mention this every time, seemingly, that we talk about her. You look for Iga Svantec. She's breaking serve overall this year 56% of the time. Only mm-hmm. one player, one, that's not true, two because Cerebus Tormo kind of counts, but one top 10 player has finished a season playing against a top 10 strength of schedule with an over 50% break percentage since, you know, in the 21st century, David. Only one player over 50% in the 21st century. It was prime Simona Halep who finished a season at 50.2%, David. Wow. 50.2%. Shviontex at 56%. So it's not just that she's elite of the elite all time, putting together the best returning season we've ever seen. It's that she's 5% more elite on the return of serve than we've ever seen anyone ever be throughout the course of a season. How well does that translate to grass courts, though? I think that's question number one you have to ask, because certainly on a clay court, that serve sits up in her forehand wing. If you give her a little bit more time on the forehand, as we saw throughout the course of the clay court season, she's just going to kill you. She's absolutely going to kill you. The question is, how translatable is that? to this grass court surface. And how about the other things for Iga Swiatek? And again, there's a lot, they, like you're looking for a bad metric for Iga Swiatek. You're not going to find it. Like, okay, the only thing she's outside the top 25 for in terms of uh, as a server this season, she's third, by the way, on the WTA tour and hold percentage. She's like 30th or like 35th in ace percentage. She only hits an ace 3.4% of the time. Like, okay, that's fine. But and, and like, again, that like that's one number like okay first serve win percentage for Iga you know she's still inside the top I believe uh 20 and in fact she is indeed inside the top 20 she currently ranks I think 15th in first serve win percentage amongst top 50 WTA players she's third though in second serve win percentage and like again 
given that these grass courts maximize your first serve, right? You feel like for Iga, yeah, her first serve may not be as elite as the elite of the elite, but it's still pretty good. And on this surface, like you think, is her second serve a weakness? No, not really. Hasn't been this season, but that's my question. And to get full circle here, I know I've been ranting at you. Are the weapons Iga possesses, the forehand, the fitness, her ability, you know, in the outer third of the court to generate grass? Well, that's exact. So you beat me to it. That's my question is how relevant is that skill set on this surface? And again, it's only a 12 match pro sample size for Iga. Seven and five overall. You want to throw out anything before 2019. I completely understand that. And, you know, again, you look for Iga from that perspective. She has been relatively solid, relatively solid, I say, uh, on the grass courts. But like, uh, again, plus 150 feels like a, plus 150 feels like a stretch. Do you, do you trust her neck game? <sighs> I don't not uh, trust it. Cause I was looking over, you know, her Wimbledon stats from last season. She didn't, she didn't come to the net much and she didn't have overwhelming success when she did. And for me, yeah, that's one of the metrics I always like to look at in terms of grass court tennis, just because of how important it is to get to the net. Um, and so I don't know. I, I and on clay this season, I don't remember her charging to the net much. Yeah, she didn't need to. But again, it's does her skill set translate to grass? And it's 12 matches, and she's you know, she beat uh Sue set his I'm gonna totally uh butcher the pronunciation Hisei um last season on grass in the first round of Wimbledon um but beyond that when I'm looking at her big wins Irina Begu uh Beres Vanareva Heather Watson uh, well, it's just it's 12 matches so all this comes yeah. down to is do you have enough faith in what you've seen from Iga this season that you have her as the unequivocal favorite compared to the rest of the field and again from a DraftKings perspective if they don't make her plus 125, everyone and their mother and their father is going to be betting on Iga Svantec, right? Because she has won 35 consecutive matches. And across the board, you look at her statistics, hitting career highs, only 21 years old. Yes, hasn't played since the French Open, but hasn't lost since all the way back in February. To me, it's, it comes down to two things, and you sort of nailed it there. A, what about the forehand? Like, are we sure the forehand return isn't going to have some issues for her on this surface when Jabors of the world or the Benchiches of the world or even some of the other big servers you see on the WTA Tour? Let's say she comes up against a Madison Keys or, you know, maybe even someone like an Ali Risk who serves particularly efficiently on this grass court. How is he going to respond with that forehand return? How is she going to move in and out of corners? To your point, I went back and watched the Jabour match, and she'd played a lot of tennis in the lead-up to that Wimbledon, and it did feel like Sviantek sort of wore down physically throughout the course of last season. She didn't move great on the grass courts, but the difference now is she's had a month off, and like she's got the confidence of a 35-match win streak, and she has been able to problem-solve. She is able now— and I, I'll be fascinated to see if she's able to hit the swinging volley as comfortably and in the correct positioning with her feet as she was during the clay court season. Because, again, her movement on the clay court, David, is what separates her, right? Is what allows right. her to have that much more time to get into her playbook. I don't know. Let's get to it. Is Eagle number one for you or is she not? Oh, man. See, I 
This is I'm the question. Putting, You're on the spot. I'm putting her at number one only because I could not ever justify someone on a 35 match winning streak not being number one, regardless of surface. I just couldn't. If she goes up to win, I'd look like a fool. Yeah. You know, she goes so, so is that where we are now, where she has built up so much equity? Is she in the Serena zone? I don't know how else to call it, where it's just like if no. she's in the tournament – She's just the favorite right now. Now, not because of how dominant she is. You know, again, I, I don't I don't think she's hit the level of dominance as a prime Serena. But I do think her compared to the rest of the field right now, I mean, if you watch that clay court season, the delta feels like the gap between her and everyone else is as big as ever. Like, are we giving for me her? Though, yeah, go ahead. Final thoughts me, on Iga, go to you. Yeah, no, I just want to say – and this is something also I've been wrestling with. For me, I just kind of feel like compared to the Serena peak era, yeah, the field just feels a little weaker to me. Um, and so Sviatek might have the same level of distance, you know, the same distance between her and, you know, and owns Jabor in second place in my eyes. But I don't think Sviatek's level is near peak Serena. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, and we've had this discussion obviously frequently here on this podcast, I think the depth on the WTA Tour is better than it's ever been. I think players ranked 66, 76, 86, 126, 826 are so much better than their peers were even five years ago, let alone 10, 15, 20 years ago. We don't have a clear-cut number two right now. And I do think Arena Sabalenka was finally rounding into form. She's not going to be. At this 2022 Wimbledon, I think, you know, quarterfinalist, semifinalist from the 2022 French Open, Kasatkina, Kudermetova, they will not be competing at this 2022 Wimbledon. Those are three of the 15, 10 to 15 hottest players right now on the WTA Tour. None of them are playing. Again, the problem is Iga's backhand is just like comparatively so much better than everyone else's that you're just like, I don't care that I haven't seen it on a grass court. Give her a match. Give her two matches. She'll find her rhythm there. You think she her did, backhand's better than like a Halla? Yeah, I just think she can generate more firepower. And her ability, again, from a standstill, you're just, you're locked. There's no, from as a mover, you don't, if she is sitting with time in the ad side on a backhand ground stroke, you just, you're like, is she going cross court? Is she going down the line? Is she going to do her ridiculous, you know, incredible one-of-a-kind racket speed that generates this short-angle topspin little flip shot short-angle cross court that, again, like four players on the tour own? You're just, you're so paused when she's in that corner. And Is she going to be able to produce that with the lower grass? Well, bench? so that's, the, that's like the fundamental question, right? And I, uh, you, we have to gamble here. Because we've only seen her play 12 times. But to your I, point, how can you gamble against that shot when it's just with our eyes, you know, outside of a semifinal loss in the Australian Open to Danielle Collins, that backhand, it's just, it hasn't misfired for her ever this season. You're right. I, I just think that I, I wouldn't feel comfortable at plus 150. I agree. Um, That's too high. And I feel like everyone, the rest of the field is too far away from her. Um, well, so... So that's the question. And so, all right, if Iga's number one, and Uh we agree the delta between Iga at number one, and we both have her at number one right now, you just can't not have her there. Um, Here's Okay, let me ask you this question. If it was announced today that Ashley Barty's like, you know what, I want to defend my Wimbledon title, would you make her the favorite? If she had one grass court warm-up, yes. I think I I agree with you. (laughs) Barty is 
Sviatek's kryptonite. And that's yeah. why, uh, you know, she dominated Sviatek in Australia earlier this year. Uh, well, it's just the heaviness of her forehand, right? And that ability, that weapon, not only the ability to throw off speed looks at Iga with the backhand slice and keeping that ball low, her willingness to move forward on this surface in particular, obviously that's what makes Barty exceptional. She also has the sort of forehand, uh, serve, excuse me, capable of, bringing out the last ounces of trouble that Iga Shvantec has on the forehand return. With that backhand slice in mind, though, you know, again, you referenced her earlier. I don't think the field is as big between Iga and the rest of the players competing here at the 2022 Wimbledon. And I do think there are a couple of names like I would throw in the plus 300 to 500 range personally. Now, they're not, according to DraftKings, and that's why it feels like there's value on them. Is Own Jabour, especially after her title run last week, and it's the second consecutive year she's won a title on the grass courts heading into Wimbledon. I'll get into her career numbers momentarily. Is she your clear-cut number two right now, David? Yeah, and she's she was the one wrestling with me for number one. Um, yeah. Tech. I mean, you mentioned before she's the highest grass court elo, but, you know, we, we can always just, you know, get into the stats. But for me, just watching her play, the way she's hitting her forehand so confidently, that backhand slice, she hits her spots on the serve, her incredible drop shots, the touch, you know, both, you know, with the drop shots, but also at the net too, how well she plays at the net and how she understands the right time to come in and put away a volley. I, for me, out of everyone I, you know, we've seen on the grass so far, we haven't seen Spiatek this year. Jabor is by far the clear cut favorite. Although I would have loved to see what would have happened if Benchich didn't get injured, if they uh, would have, that would have been a little tighter in the Berlin final. But yeah, for me, Jabor, everything's clicking right now. For oh, and, and by the way, this is the least hot take you've ever offered, David, because Jabor right now second in the WTA oh, just points race. For number yeah, four. So that, good, good, good. Um, but Jabor second right now in the points race. And honest to God, the gap between her with 2,990 points and Goff with 2,262 points, that 700-point gap, particularly given the fact that they're not offering points at Wimbledon this season or full complement of points, that's massive. Like that is yeah. a massive gap between Jabour at two and Goff at three. And you look for own Jabour this season, 50 and 18 in her last 52 weeks, but 30 and nine here in 2022. She had, she's had two bad days this season, David. That's it. Two total bad days. She lost to Magda, Magdalene yeah. at first round French Open. Now look. That's a pretty big bad day though. But it was also a three set loss. So it's like, yes, it was a bad day, but did you watch them? Like Lynette was unbelievable. It, it doesn't matter though. With the pedigree she had, it, do, it doesn't matter. You know, that's the win that she has to win no matter how the opponent's playing. For me, yeah. you know, personally, she won, she won, she won Madrid, you know, she, I, I think that's an unacceptable loss no matter how Lynette was playing. I agree For, it was a poor loss. That said, two bad days like that. And then she loses to Gavrilova three sets in Indian Wells. Though, like, I get it. Again, and the standard that Iga has set 35 consecutive victories, like, that's ridiculous. That's why we talk about Iga and we measure her not against the rest of the field right now, at least here on this podcast, but we measure against what she's accomplished historically. But Om Shabur has had, again, 
two bad days this year, David. Yeah. Like for 99 points. Like that's how you become number three in the world. She's had two bad days in six months of tennis. Like the losses this season. Let's just play a game. Good loss, bad loss. Okay. Conteve in Sydney. She retires with injury. First tournament of the year. That's not a bad loss. That's not a bad loss. Irrelevant. Doesn't play the Australian Open. Obviously was out with injury. Comes back from that injury. Quarterfinal loss to Halep in straight sets, but that's her first tournament back after injury. Good loss, bad loss. I would say uh, neither good or bad. I, I agree. Almost irrelevant. Uh, Conteve, 6-4-6-1 in Doha. Again, coming back from injury, quarterfinals in both of the Middle East stretches. Given that Conteve was still playing like a competent player. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pre-COVID Conteve. So I agree. Miami, round of 16 loss to Danielle Collins after beating Kanapi and Lynette. Um, I don't think uh, Miami's ever going to be a good tournament for Jabor given the humidity. So I'll say, I'll say it was a fine loss. I agree. Benchich three sets, Charleston final. Uh, a fine loss, you know, but uh, you know, not a fine. Yes. A fine loss. Bedosa Stuttgart quarterfinals, three sets. She should have won that match. That was a bad loss. Okay. You know what? I'm actually going to agree with you there, particularly indoors. That's maybe the one bad loss she's had against a top and, 10 and player. she was the significantly better player. Yeah. The that, then wins Madrid, wins whatever it is, 2-4-6, 2-4-5, 11 consecutive matches before losing in the final of Rome to Iga. I don't think that's a bad loss at all. Like, again, 11 straight matches. Yeah, 2-2 two and two is not a great scoreline, but that's as much a schedule loss as it is playing. You play 12 matches in 16 days, 17 days. Like, that's brutal on anyone's body. I don't. Again, Gavrilova, Lynette, two bad days in my opinion, David. She should have beaten Bedosa, but I don't even think that's a – I don't think that was a – you know, I don't think she played particularly poorly. I think there, she was on clutch. Oh, that's but that's that's a different discussion. And so you know, again, you look for Onjabur this season. She's breaking serve forty one point eight percent of the time. That's a career high for her, five point one percent above her career average. She's also still holding serve seventy one point nine percent of the time. Well, that's below what she was at last season. That's still a percent and a half above her career average. And Onjabur right now, one of just seven players to rank top twenty in both hold and break percentage. Last stat for you here. You look career on grass courts, own Jabour, and some of this came at the 100K level, 50K level, but she has played 61 total matches on grass courts in her career. Anything over 50 to me is a significant sample size. She's played 61 career grass court matches. She's 46 and 15. I'm on the grass seeing, courts. She's I'm won seeing, titles in back-to-back seasons on the grass courts at the WTA level. She has to be number two. I'm actually seeing 54 and 16, which I think is probably better. What uh, did I say? I have 46 and 15. Where, where's, I'm, I'm, I must be missing nine victories. Yeah, I'm I don't know where the, I'm missing them for. I'm on the ITF side. Yeah, uh, I'm on Tennis Abstract. So okay. definitely, you're definitely correct on this here's, one. But yeah, the, you're, you're right. Here's the deal with Jabor, though. And it comes back also to that French Open loss. Even with the Berlin title and her title in Madrid, she's still three and five in finals. I don't trust her in the big matches, really. Uh, I really, it's hard to trust that she's going to keep it together. She's had some bad losses in some big matches. And I, I, I have to put her at second. Like I said, she was in the running for first, but Dwight, I, also thought about dropping her down to third um, just because of that big match play. Um, and 
I, and I'm going to now check my – who no, I, I, I think that's fair. Let me just – to throw this at you for Owen Jabour, since the pandemic, you know, pandemic play began uh, back in August 2020, she's played seven different Grand Slams. She's made the round of 16 or further at three of them. Only one quarterfinal for her during that stretch of time, but that quarterfinal happened to be at Wimbledon last season. Now, again, during this time span for her overall, 90 and 34. She's winning 73% of her matches. Against top 20 opponents, Own Jabour, 16 and 14 since August 2020. Against top 10 opponents, 6 and 10. It's not outstanding. You're right. But again, and you mentioned this, this gets to the rest of the field. If, and, and watching Jabour play this past week, by the way, boy, was she excellent, I thought, throughout the course. You know, again, got pushed against Sasanovich, but seemed to play better and better against the as the tournament went on. You know, Goff just didn't have the weapons to hurt her with over the course of time, and she was used her own defensive skills, turning defense into offense, to take that first set against Ben Chich. To your point, and again, more broadly, it's just the smorgasbord of things own Jabour can do. She's going to, you know, she can take the return early on the rise, beat you to the spot flat down the line. And then the moment you get paralyzed with that ball, now come the drop shots, now come the slices, now come the short angles. She may have one of the best first steps as a mover and the flexibility she shows in the corner. You know, again, it's not your traditional quickness. She doesn't have that traditional quick frame, but she is as powerful of a mover as you're going to find on the WTA tour. And so, it's just the floor to me. Like I, It's so interesting because my argument is I think her floor is her strength. You seem to disagree slightly. I, I, I never put it like that. Um, well, it's more that, that the consistency in the big moments, uh, I should say. You know, the way I just see it with Jabor is when everything's working, she's one of the best players on the WTA Tour by far. When everything's not working, she can look very average. In the quarterfinals of Wimbledon last year against uh, Arena Sabalenka, I watched that match. It was she looked she was mediocre. Um, barely touched uh, Sabalenka's serve. I broke serve once in that match. She won thirty percent of her second serve points, and so you can Sabalenka powered through her a little bit last year in the in that quarterfinal match. And these big hitters, they are able to power through but at times but mm-hmm. then again Sabalank is not going to be there this year Ludmilla Samsonova who broke out at Wimbledon in Berlin last year on grass is not going to be there this year uh not that she was playing particularly well anyway but at the end of the day especially with the Russians and the Belarusians out um you know my thoughts on that notwithstanding um I think that you this could be a good year for, you know, the field is a little weaker, you know, you know, Halep got injured in uh, last week in Birmingham. And I just, you know, Haddad Maya is like, you know, one of the top contenders this year and I've seen her, she's playing great. But at the same time, I feel like the field has gotten to the point where Jabor can make a run this year. And I feel okay about it. Yeah. I mean, the, the question when we get to all of these players, it's like, if not this slam, when's it going to happen 
for someone like an own Jabour, who yeah. hasn't been the biggest part of the tennis ecosystem for a while. But look, turns 28 years old at the end of August uh, on the older side. In fact, she might be. Let's look right now in the WTA top 10. She is, oh, actually fourth oldest. Pliskova is the oldest right now at 30 years old. You've got Collins, 28, Pagula, 28, and then, of course, uh, Jabour, 27. Um, but... Look, it just feels like, again, given Iga's only played 12 career matches on the grass courts, given there's, you know, again, those plethora of players missing, if not this Wimbledon, when's it going to happen for Shabur, right? I feel like Ever. that. Yeah, exactly. So it just feels like this is the opening for the 27-year-old. But with that theme in mind, David, my player third on the list, and normally I'm a generous host, you know, normally I like to let you go first, but is in that same spirit of, if not now, can it ever happen for this player? And if there's ever going to be a moment for this player to capitalize, it feels like this is the opportunity. Now, again, following an injury for her in a final, it's good, it might be a little bit tougher to make this argument, but I'm fairly certain right now, David, that Belinda Bencic isn't just playing the best tennis of her career, but she's playing the best tennis of her career by a country mile. And you look for wow. Belinda Bencic, who I have as third on my list. Wow. Bencic currently ranked 17th overall uh, in the WTA rankings, 16th in the live rankings. But Belinda Bencic, eighth this season, is the 25-year-old in the points race. Eighth this season. Uh, eighth, excuse me, in overall ELO rating right now. She's also, again, grass court specific ELO rating. She's sixth overall, according to Tennis Abstract. You measure just the ELO rating for 2022, specifically Belinda Bencic, all the way up to fourth, technically third if you remove Ashley Barty in terms of level we've seen from players throughout the course of this 2022 season. And again, the big number for Belinda Bencic as we look at grass court tennis. What do you have to do on in, on grass courts, David. You got to be able to dictate. You got to be able to hold serve. Belinda Bencic, second right now amongst all WTA top 50 players in hold percentage. 77.4% again for Belinda Bencic. The gap between her in second place and Iga Sviantek, 0.8% behind in third place is the same as the gap between Sviantek and eighth and ninth place Halep and Krejcikova. Belinda Bencic on the grass courts for her, uh, excuse me, here in the last 52 weeks, obviously for her, makes quarterfinals uh, in the Netherlands, knocked off by Kudermatova, but gets the revenge victory over Kudermatova in Berlin. Uh, also beats Kalinskaya, I, I believe, a couple of weeks in a row. We know how difficult it is to beat a player two weeks in a row. I don't care who they are at that point. The big number, obviously, for Belinda Bencic, she's played 77 grass court matches in her career, David. She's 53-24 and 24 in those grass court matches. Obviously made a final in Berlin last season, follows that up with another final this season, has made a final in Mallorca early in her career, has made a final in the Netherlands before in her career, won the title in Eastbourne back in 2015. Here's the big thing that she has that others on my list of these ascending young players don't. She's made the Wimbledon second week before. She's been in the round of 16 multiple times, making that Wimbledon round of 16 in 2018, making the Wimbledon round of 16, I believe, in 2015 as well. Again, another last big number for you before I let you talk. Belinda Bencic, 47-19. and 19 in her last 52 weeks of play. Now, that includes her success at the Tokyo Olympics, which won't be included in her WTA results. But David, my question to you is twofold. A, 
When was the last time we saw Belinda Bencic go 52 weeks without missing a month or six weeks without an injury? I could argue not since she first broke back into the tour, you know, back in 2015, 2016 range. Secondly, 47 and 19. Again, for Belinda Bencic over her last 52 weeks, she's, you know, against opponents ranked outside the top 20, she's 38 and 13. Against top 20 opponents, she's 9 and 6. Against top 10 opponents, she's 6 and 4. It just feels like if it's ever going to happen, and I know she rolled her ankle in that final against Jabor, and ankles are a tricky, tricky subject. You never know if or when they're going to heal properly. But David, I swear to God, if it's ever going to happen for Belinda Bencic, who was held in extraordinarily high esteemed coming out of the junior ranks. You could argue she was the best women's junior probably from that 2010 to 2015 era. How much does that matter, though? No, 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 no. But I'm saying the pedigree is there. Like, again, pedigree matters. The same way Andrew Wiggins having a massive series for Golden State. It's like he was a number one pick, right? Like, it's always worth remembering. Yeah, he he was a little, you know, tentative at times. There were things in the first six years of Andrew Wiggins' career you didn't love. There were things in the first six years of Belinda Bencic's career you didn't love. But she's always had this sort of firepower, this sort of capability. And again, we talk about the intangible side, the mental aspect. She has main character energy. She carries herself as someone who believes they should be competing for Grand Slam titles. I just think, again, grass court pedigree, relative health over the last 52 weeks, which of course I'm jinxing as she just rolled her ankle, but just, you know, pedigree against top 20, top 10 players. Find me a more confident player on a grass court right now, definitively, then Belinda Bencic, that's why she's got to be number three on my list. Well, Owens Jabor, but... Well, yeah, no, but other than those two. Okay. Other than the, uh, the two previous mentioned, and I don't have a definitive candidate, that's why I'm going with the track record, pedigree, and recent success of a Bencic. Okay, so I, I, I took it, I, you were, I totally thought you were going to take it to my third pick, but you went totally in a different direction. But This is good. I'm so a, we fought, do we disagree? Is Benchich on oh, your list? We're, we're, uh, we are like, uh, what's that saying? The two roads converge? Not, it's diverge or whatever. Yeah, it's diverge. Are, are we current version of Skip and Stephen A? Are we beefing now? I, I, we're not beefing, but I will, <laughs> for me, I couldn't, I didn't have her on my list because I don't trust that her ankle is going to be healthy. She does absorb power really well on grass court. She re, she then redirects that power very accurately. She hits her spots on serve. I just don't trust her health um, to be there, uh, especially given that she had to retire in that final. She, you, know, you never want to retire in a final, even though both that final and the Birmingham final were both ended in retirements. But with that said, I just don't trust her to be healthy, but everything you said is correct. Um, you could say a lot of the same things about my number three pick, uh, who is fully healthy and ready to go. Uh, but I would say that you are correct if she's healthy. Uh, she would be on my list if, if, if I knew she was healthy. Uh, but I, what I don't want is for her to go out in round one, you know, limp around the court, collect her check, and then I feel like a moron, you know, yeah. for having her on my list. Uh, Fair, so but did you did you watch the Jabour? I, I felt like she pulled out of that Jabour match. And again, we're not doctors. Full speculation here. There's not much this is helpful with. But it just feels like, again, that was a preventative. Like, hey, I think I could keep playing, but I'm not going to risk it because I want to ensure I'm 100% 
come uh, the start of Wimbledon. To me, that was my takeaway from the withdrawal. Um, like, again, and that's just my reaction. I'm curious if you agree or disagree with that take, but you talk about her ability to absorb pace. Her backhand's just freaking special. Like, yeah. it just absolutely is. And especially, again, the, the break percentage for Belinda Bencic has never been exceptional. You look for Bencic uh, throughout the course of her career. Bencic averaging as a break percentage, 32.8%. The average break percentage uh, for top 50 players, 36.6%. So, obviously, it's below the average of the top 50 players. You look for Belinda Bencic right now this season. Um, she is currently 42nd amongst top 50 players in break percentage. That said, you know, again, she is creeping back towards her career average of 32.8%, has been significantly better this season breaking serve uh, than she was over the past couple of years. And I just think her forehand slice return, which is the side to attack if you're attacking Belinda Bencic as the server, because that forehand backswing gets a little bit big and she will be more comfortable chopping through that ball with a slice or bumping it back as a block return. I think it's most effective. On this surface, I think actually as a returner, as crazy as that is to say, her boom or bust nature probably works best on a, a grass court. Oh, she was really going after her second serves in Berlin. Exactly. And just again— her second like, serve returns, excuse me. If she's healthy, and this is a big if now after the ankle injury, but she's moving better— than she's yeah. ever moved in her career. No one will ever accuse Belinda Bencic of being fast, but she's like it's like a Taylor Fritz thing to me, where it's just like she's now fine. It's not great, but it's fine. And with her power tennis, again, second hold, uh, highest hold percentage amongst top fifty players, fine takes her to another category. Fine just keeps her in the ball game a little bit longer than it did in 2021 or 2018. I think we saw this level of from Benchich in 2019, but I actually think she's playing better now than she did then. Again, my argument to this is fully predicated on her being healthy, but it just feels like given the dearth of big servers in the rest of the field, right? Because you don't have a Sabalenka or a Kudermakova playing this event. You only, you know, again, top 10 players, like Rabakina, yes, she's in the field, but like outside of a Rabakina type serving performance, does anyone really have the weapons to just blitz Benchich? uh, I'm not going to give my, uh, the big Is it Anisimova? Is it Anisimova? You'll you'll, you'll see, but I have a big (laughs) server in mind who's number three on my list. Dude, you're forgetting. Uh, Well, I like this. So then with that in mind, I want to just push back on one thing a little bit. Just a little bit. And this is where we'll end our Benchich talk. So go for it. So she did lose uh, in the, I believe it was the quarterfinals to Kudermetova in uh, Rosmalin. Yeah. And yes, she was clutch this week, but she did go three sets in every match that she played until the final, uh, including against uh, Julie Niemeyer, Kalinskaya, Sakari, who played well, but is not that great on grass. Um, So any of those matches flipped the other way, then we're saying, oh, is she ready? Yo, how... How is she, uh, you know, going to fare at Wimbledon more so than the fact that she won all those matches? Now, again, like I said, she's been clutch. You know, she there was clutch wins and a win's a win. But it's not like she went through and started ripping through the field uh, in Berlin and, or in Rosmalin. So for me, I'm a little more hesitant than you, even injury aside. But I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I get that. And you're right. It does feel a little boomer bust for Belinda Bencic. The bad days can still be bad, and they still exist far, you know, more frequently than you would like. But she's confident. She's serving well. And again, 
if not her third, now you're speculating. Now you're grasping at straws or you're going with players with the really high floors like well, the Haddad Mayas or the Halibs of the world in my mind. Now you disagree. So with that in mind, okay. give me a name. Who's three on your list? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Carolina Pleskova. Oh, okay. I like it. Make the case. Um, so first off, she's 63 and 29 on grass. So very similar numbers to Benchit. Yeah. Uh, Wimbledon finalist last season was a set away from winning the title over the best grass court player of last season, Ashley Barty. Um, Arguably the best grass court player of the past five years. We just really only got to see it. Uh, I would say Kerber and uh, and Halep and Serena would have something to say about that. But that's another discussion. Well, but again, it's like if Hal- if Barty was playing this 2022 Wimbledon, yeah, you're right. It's a completely different discussion. But she would be the unequivocal favorite. Yes, but if you had Kerber, Halep, or Serena at their, you know. Peaks. At their peaks, they would they would be lapping the field. Well, point. Serena at her peak would absolutely be lapping the field. I, I actually think peak Barty versus peak Halep and peak Kerber, I think they're all in the same discussion. Yeah, okay. Like I, I, I would say Serena's the tier above, and then those oh, yeah. three are all uh, those three are all you know second. And Venus tier. too. Venus and Serena tier above. For yeah, me. but that's not Venus isn't past decade. We're right, talking right, 2007 okay. Venus yeah. or like 02 Venus. Yes. Anyways, so yeah. Carolina Pleskova, you you talked about big servers. You didn't mention Pleskova, which I was. Yeah. Uh, Pliskova that was an a, oversight. Good call by you. No, no, no. And I, I'm just saying, uh, yeah. her, she hits hits her spots on serve, has huge, huge first serve, um, flat ground strokes that cut through the court very well. Uh, I think that she is good enough at the net that she'll be able to, you know, put away those easy volleys. And I think that overall, the proof is in the pudding. In last season, she was great on uh, – Grass, really impressive run to the Wimbledon final. Uh, I would say that her loss to Coco Goff in Berlin was a little uh, misleading in terms of the fact that I thought she was the better player in that match. She just wasn't clutch uh, like Belinda Bencic was in her matches. Uh, I would say that also, again, the field is not that strong. This is her, I, when you were talking about, if not now, then when? Same thing goes for Carolina Pliskova. If she's not going to win Wimbledon now, then whenever, when is she going to win it? Because the the opportunity draw, you know, the draw is not out yet, so we don't know who she'll play. Obviously, if any of these players play and inform Ostapenko, anything can happen. Uh, but <laughs> Sorry, that's a great call. You're right. Like, Ostapenko belongs on uh, – it's just like who are the players who could f*** things up? And Ostapenko is number one on the list of f***ing up in the draw. Yeah. So, for me, it's like – a lot of this is draw dependent. But I just – the serve for me is – so not many women's tennis players can consistently rely on three points on their serve. And Carolina Pliskova, along with Rabakina, like you said uh, – not that many others. Ashley Barty, when she was uh, on tour, not that many players can rely on free points. 
Pliskova is one of them. And so for me, that automatically on grass takes her above a lot of other players on the field. In terms of ELO ratings, you mentioned uh, Benchich was up there. Right behind her in terms of grass court ELO was Carolina Pliskova. Um, and so for me, I think that she's clear cut number three. And I put the Grand Canyon between three and four. Just out of the top 50 players right now, where do you think Carolina Pliskova ranks in terms of hold percentage? This season or yeah. this, this season is different because she's been uh, extraordinarily injured. But 34th she is this okay. season amongst top 50 players. And you look for Pliskova here in 2022. And again, injuries have played a major factor in this. But she's 8-9 overall she's back. on the year. She did play much better. I thought in Berlin, I thought that match against Andrescu was particularly exciting. And, you know, again, as you look at the fifth spot, man, like Andrescu's interesting. She's Only also, on, well, Andrescu's also on the, the <laughs> up list of like, I have if, her, I have if, her on my list. Andrescu? Yeah, I do. Oh, forget the Pliskova conversation. Then I don't have Pliskova on my list. To your point, if she serves well, she's in the mix. She was last year's Wimbledon finalist. She has the grass court pedigree. I don't mean to write her off your entire point here, David, because again, I don't think a five and four loss to Coco Golf is bad at all. And she um, really should have. She had set points in the first set. She really should have. Honestly, she could have easily won that match. I, I just don't think she can get seven matches in the, out of the body in a row right now. Like, I just haven't seen it enough from her consistently. Again, she's made two quarterfinals this year. And yeah, they've both come in the past month. Quarterfinals, uh, semifinals, Strasbourg, quarterfinals, Berlin. Really good wins. Again, three sets over Andrescu, three sets over Kanepi. I do think she's gotten the sort of warm up. Three that sets. Oh, wait, hold on. I got a pushback. Three sets over Kanepi with a double base. Yeah, no, it's not even a pushback. To your point, exactly. She got better and better throughout the course of that match. To your point of, is she back? Well, in those grass court matches, she wasn't broken against Kanepi. You know, was broken four times against Andrescu, but won over 70% of her first serve points. Looked very good on serve. Again, it's it's the seven matches in a row. It's the physicality that Goff brought in that third match that just wore Pliskova down over time. And you could tell she goes from making 68% of her first serves against Kanepi, 67% against Andrescu, 54% against Coco Goff. Now, again, in reality, that's like nine more missed first serves between that match and the Andrescu match. But that's a testament to the legs. And it's just like in week number two, is she, uh, you know, if she gets there, is she going to have the legs left to make a deep push? She's also playing another warm-up event this week in Eastbourne. I don't know if I, I mean, I get she wants matches under her belt. Not sure how much I love that decision. You know, and you know, and I just, this is totally, I just, this came, I'll let you finish. Hold on. No, 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 I'm done. Please go. You were just talking, I just, I keep going back to that, you know, <laughs> up. Uh, yeah. And so for me, I just thought of a name that I don't have on my list that I really think should I, that yeah. could, you know, screw you, by the that, way, yeah, you don't get quacked with sound effects. Don't worry. Uh, she's in that short list of people I want for five. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do uh, about number five. It's such a tough, it's such a tough, uh, I just, you don't, cause she hasn't, she's someone else who hasn't played on grass this year, but with her serve and with her power, I know this is completely off topic and it, and it popped into my head, but no, just, she's uh, – you. so let's do this quickly. This is a quick tangent. Let's do the f- shit up list because okay. um, I think that's fun. Um, 
I mean, certainly, certainly Pliskova with the serve belongs on that list. Andrescu has to be on that list. She's on my main list. An informed serving Madison Keys. We'll get back to that in a second again. Don't let that nugget slip by. Uh, an informed Madison Keys. I think she has to be on that list, mm-hmm. absolutely. I would put Rabakina on yeah. that list as well, where it's just, again, the power tennis. This is really the Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club extended list, where it's just like the power tennis you can play. Uh, it can just give people a hard time. Are we ready to write off Petra Kvitova from this list? Yes, okay. I am. All right, yeah. if you're ready, I'm ready it's been too. Too, I, too many, too long of a period of time. I agree. Has improved where for me it's just when I when she lost in the first round of I think it was was it Nottingham or Birmingham one of the two. Yeah, last week. Yeah, or two um, weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was that was for me like the final coffin. Um, I agree. Here's another name. But here's the crazy thing. Like, Kvitova was a favorite entering the 2020-run French Open. She rolls her ankle via the press conference or whatever that drama was, and it's just like has not found her form since. Yeah. It's It's crazy. It's just amazing. She's falling like a rock. Yeah. Um, and another another name, how about Carolina Mukova, if she's able to get mad? See, yeah. I don't think she's part of the FS Up crew. I just think she's good. Like, yeah. that's not, that's just, that's just like, I'm back from injury. I'm just good. Like, Andrescu's the one where, again, she's got fewer than 20 grass court matches, I believe, in her career as well. And you're just like, what does she look like exactly? Match in, match out. It's just like her ceiling in an individual right. match. She's going to put together a 10-minute stretch where you're just like, okay, she's now the favorite to win the tournament. Right. Um, and I think you need that to be on the FS up list. I don't think Mukova quite has that gear. I just think, like, if she makes a round of 16 quarterfinal, I wouldn't be shocked either considering how good she was last season before getting injured at the slams. Man, Mukova's another player you throw in the list at number five. And by the way, just some odds updates for all of you. I meant to do this throughout. Iga plus 150. Jabour, who we both have comfortably second on our list. She's third overall according to DraftKings odds. She's 11 to 1. Pliskova right now, two, uh, one, three, five, seven. She's ninth, tied for eighth, excuse me, 20 to 1 odds. Benchich <laughs> also tied for eighth at 20 to 1 odds. Um, you know, again, the player to me, though, and I, do, I don't feel, you know, again, I have a list of five we'll get into for our final list of players here. Let's do Andrescu first. Okay. Where is she on your list and why is she there? She's number four. Um, okay. And it's it's not, it's more of a, if everything's fi- firing on full cylinders. Breaks right for her. Right. Then yeah. I mean, because I watched that a lot of that Pliskova match. It was she, so good. She it was so. You're was so right. Incredibly good. Incredible. Like, yes. Like the the way that I think she won like 16 points in a row in the third set. Now obviously she was broken serving for the match, but she won 16 points in a row and and serve I think in the first, in the third set. Yeah. She was just crushing the ball from the baseline. She has that touch too, where out of nowhere, she just throws in those slices and those angles and the drop shots. And for me, when I, again, the field is not that strong. So when I was looking for number four, I was like, why not? Because my number five, who who I won't say yet, (laughs) I thought to myself, who do I trust more in a big match on a grass court? And it was Andreescu. And Drescu, and uh, yes, she's only she's barely played on grass in her career. What is she? She's uh, the fourteen and nine on grass. That's not great, but at the end of the day, in terms of potential and in terms of who can I see going on a run 
And who has the game and the mentality to win those? You talked about who can you talked about Pliskova not being able to hold up over seven matches, seven matches in terms of who is mentally tough enough to hold up over seven matches. May, again, physically, you never know with her. Um, nothing, but nothing bad has happened recently. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed in terms of Andrescu physically. But I was just, maybe this is an overreaction to the Pliskova loss, but I was just really impressed with what I saw from her. She has pop on her grand strokes that not many players in the WTA tour have. Yeah. No, I mean, you laid out the case beautifully. Like she is on the... Uh, she's on the short list. Like, she absolutely, it's just regardless. I, I mean, throughout the course of this season for Andrescu, and look, I know the record's not outstanding, and you look for Andrescu here in 2022, 8-5 overall. Who are the losses? Pliskova, Bencic, Sviantek, Pagula, Sabalenka. I don't have a single qualm with any of those losses. And, like, uh, does she have the best wins either? Yeah, she beats Collins in Madrid. Beats Raducanu, I guess, in Rome. But, like, this is just purely an eye test thing. And you're right. The problem is there's going to be 20 minutes where she's outstanding, followed by seven minutes where she's horrible, followed by 11 minutes of who knows what's happening next with Bianca Andreescu. You look for Andreescu in her career on grass courts. Again, nine and eight. Overall, yes, you know, she qualified for Wimbledon in 2017, uh, lost first round Wimbledon last season. She's played two Wimbledon main draw matches in her career, David. That's it, uh, heading into this season. And yet, to your point, go watch the Pliskova match and tell me that Bianca Andreescu can't win Wimbledon. If we can get that Andreescu for seven matches consecutively. Now, I don't think we can get it for seven matches consecutively. That's why I don't have her in my top five. You look for Andreescu. She is currently, I mentioned uh, all the players tied for uh, eighth. She is currently 12th on the list of players, 22 to one odds tied for Who is like six and seven? Like, <laughs> well, it's fascinating. Bedosa still twenty to one. Soccer oh, no still twenty to one. No I, way. So I think there's a list of players, and as we end up here, I think there's a list of players who just like ceiling a uh, floor wise. You just feel like round of sixteen. Like really, Don Maya's one ten on grass. Well, she's been Bedosa fine on grass. Like no, 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 Bedosa is not on that list, but Sakari is. Sakari's really? been fine this season, and you fine. look for her. This, like again, I don't think there's a bad loss on Sakari's resume. There's not a lot of great wins, but there's not a bad loss on her resume. She's done the .85 version of what Own Jabour has done, and so I don't hate it. If you have Sakari in your top five, I don't think she's going to win. But I think players like Sakari, Halep, Hadad Maya, Mukova, even you could throw onto that list particularly given the dearth of a Kasatkina or a Kudermatova who would both be on this in this section this tier Samson, of uh, players Samson, who can uh, win that yeah who in this tier of danger well no Samsonova wouldn't be Samsonova would be in the up category right because she's the one where it's just like well if her power tennis is working today you're in trouble because like there's just not much you can do to respond to that um so I think there's again Haddad Maya Halep Mukova Sakari would be all the solid players. The what ones who I like just Danielle think you got to... What do well, you think? I don't have her quite on that list either because she just hasn't played about, that many grass court matches. Your, she what about your girl? Uh, well, ready. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, legitimately... No. She could be so, on the list. so here's the final name I have definitively okay. on my list. I have a definitive top four and then a race for five, and we can okay. get into that race for five in a second. But four for me, 
And good. I'm always happy to throw in a late disagreement, and this can be our final disagreement because I know we both got to go here soon. Uh, Coco Goff. She has to be. She has to be in your top five, David. She She just has to be. And plus 900, actually those odds feel right in a vacuum. Like if it wasn't Coco Goff is plus 900 and those are the second best odds to win the tournament – then I'd feel pretty good at, about her at plus 900. But for her to be plus 900 while Iga's plus 150 and everyone else is lower, that's to me is where things get weird. I think like Jabour, Goff, Benchich, obviously, I think they should all be in that 7 to 1 to 12 to 1 range, depending on how you're feeling. Maybe Halep gets thrown in there as well. But again, and I, I know I mentioned this throughout the course of last week, but you look for Goko Goff in her career. In grass court matches, David, thirteen and four, thirteen yeah. and four. She's made. She's played Wimbledon twice. She's made the round of sixteen both times. Twenty nineteen, she loses to the eventual champion in Simona Halep. Last year, she loses to a semifinalist in Angelique Kerper. It was not, you know, again, beats Pliskova in straight sets. Looked dominant against Wang Xinyu in that round of sixteen match. And you know, again, I, I don't I don't think played particularly poorly other than Jabour punished her and Jabour played better, a really smart match tactically on the second serve. The thing to me, though, yeah. David, and I'm curious, I want to hear your perspective here of what separates Goff from the rest of those Halops, you know, and Sakaris and Mukovas of the world right now is A, she can match all of them physically. I think Pound for pound, there's not a better mover on a grass court on the WTA Tour right now than Coco Goff. And I don't say that lightly, but that's how how good I feel about her in the outer thirds of the court. She's the only one I've seen. Honestly, I'd put her in a top five mover, you know, speed for speed, not the same, but compared to the field. I would put her up against as any guy player you want to put up there as well in terms of proficiency as a mover on grass oh, court. Oh, I don't not know. Name, no, no, I not named Novak Djokovic. Not named Novak Djokovic. Not named Novak Djokovic. What about Nadal? Uh, I mean, N- Nadal hasn't – like, again, I think Goff does – on the WTA oh, no, tour, no. what Medvedev? No, no, no. But I think, but I think what Goff does in the women's game is similar to what Medvedev okay. does comparatively in the men's game. Again, I it's not that. apples to apples, but it's apples to oranges here. And I think Goff's apples are as good as Medvedev's oranges. Sorry for the horrible Relative. mixing of metaphors, folks. Relatively. Yeah, exactly. Compared yeah, to the field. Not- Okay, I thought you. I thought you were. No, taking, I'm okay. saying compared to the field, like in terms okay, of movers in their sport, like golf is on your top five grass court movers list compared to the field. I agree. Um, Thirteen and four, David, and it's just like the serve is that good. She is first so serve. well-rounded that you're right. First serve is that good that it can't. She is one of those players where she can win free points on this surface, uh, particularly have those free points amplified with that serve. In terms of volleying and moving forward and using that speed to beat you to the net, like, again, well-rounded skill set. She doesn't have the slices that Jabour has. She doesn't even quite have the firepower from the baseline. But if I told you Coco Goff right now is 93% of own Jabour on a grass court, that's 7%. You know, I, I might even take—I'll take Goff's serve, but I'll take Jabour's creativity and ability to do different things. Like, I just— the track record says it. You want to go to the metrics, grass court specific ELO rating. Coco Golf fourth right now, according to Tennis Abstract. She's fifth right now in yearly ELO. You want to look for her in the points race. Again, the 18-year-old Golf third in terms of total points accumulated this season. Now, that speaks to the rest of the field, I know. But she just made a final. And just like you could see the confidence oozing out of her 
in her early round performances last week in Berlin. I've I've never not been on the golf bandwagon, but it's particularly easy right now to hop on it, in my opinion. Okay. I mean, you made some good points. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you that. You know, I will say she moves, like you said, she moves very well in clay. I mean, on grass, she's able to, I liked how a lot of the time she kept points alive with a forehand slice um, when she's in more defensive positions, which I think is really smart and not used enough. Um, like you mentioned, her net play is outstanding. Uh, she's a two-time uh, doubles uh, Grand Slam doubles final finalist uh, for a reason. She's incredibly good at the net. Um, her second serve does sit up a little. Uh, backhand is outstanding. Uh, I think that the forehand can be rushed on grass a little bit by the right opponents. When um, you can rush her, she needs, we talked during the French open about how she needs a little extra time on that forehand and you can rush her on grass. Um, but you're the proof is in the pudding and she is 13 and four, like you said, and she looked really good until she played Jabor. Um, she looked really good. And again, I hate to keep harping on this because I really don't want to be negative, but the field is a little weaker. A few years ago, I don't think I would have her near my top five. Uh, but given, especially now that I can't put a Arena Sabalenka in my top five, I'll put I, I have her at number five. Um, but yeah. would I be shocked if like a Camilla Georgie upsets her? If a Van Oitbank uh, upsets her? If a Haddad Maya upsets her? No, I would not be shocked. Yeah. No, I mean. I get what you're saying there. Again, physically, you do. I mean, but like, again, who's got the bigger? I would love to watch that Haddad Maya matchup. I think that would be extraordinarily fun. That's a battle of physicality that would be absolutely delightful. But again, like, I think there's a pretty, like, I feel pretty good about my top four. Sviantek, Jabour, Benchich, Goff. I think I've been circling that for a while, and I don't think listeners will be surprised. Who goes in five? Like, man, I have no idea. I would say... I would go – I mean, Haddad Maya just beat Halep in three sets. By I don't trust that. her in a major yet. I know. We just haven't seen it, right? And, you know, again, that, at the same time, the lefty is just so, so solid. She's like ripped too. I was yeah. like – I no, saw she, her arm. I was like, holy Physically, God. she's – no, again, she's just a beast. And you look for Haddad Maya, 26 years old, a ridiculous 74 and 27 in her last 52 weeks, 36 and 12 here in 2022. Now you look for her, you know, against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She's 29 and four against outside the top 20, 33 and 11, seven and eight against top 50 opponents is the problem right now for Beatrice Haddad Maya. I just need to see a bit more. Obviously, she's earned wins on the grass courts over Sakari, Risk, Kvitova, Georgie, Halep. That's about all you can ask for. Now, she is still playing Eastbourne this week. And at a certain point, you just have to ask, you know, she's played 170, like seven matches since August. 2020 <laughs> that's just what she does like she is yeah. just someone who plays and plays and plays but you don't wouldn't have hated a week off for her this week Haddad Maya one of the 11 players by the way who ranks top 25 in both hold and break percentage I don't think that's that's shocking to learn <sighs> I mean talk me out of picking one of Anissa over Rabakina though for that fifth spot because I uh. just feel like what I'm missing from my top five right now and you have it in Pliskova I need a power tennis player, and I just yeah. don't have it right now, I David. I trust uh, Rybakina a little more than uh, Anissa Mopa, who's only 5-5 five and five in her career on grass, and who I 
don't necessarily think skill set wise. I think grass is probably going to be your weakest surface. Rabakina with that big serve has, like you said, you need that power player. And Rabakina does have the big serve, and she can just overwhelm you with pace from the ground. From the ground, and so I think that's a very fair number five um, for me. It was like one and two, one, two, three, and then I struggle with four and five because. I just, I don't know. I I don't, I'm not ready to proclaim Coco Goff this great grass court player yet. I still want to see more. It's it's fair. I'm like staring at my list now and I don't like it. Like I really do feel uncertain about this 2022 Wimbledon. And this is the first slam where you feel the absence. I mean, it's only the second slam since she retired, but you just feel Barty's absence looming over all of this perhaps right now as the defending champion. This, I mean, every grand slam feels wide open over the past five years on the women's side, this Wimbledon as wide open. Like, this may be the most wide open slam. Even with Iga being Iga, she's 7-5 and five in grass courts. Yeah. Like plus 150 is out of control. Let me, let me ask you this. Sure. Would you rather, let's say, let's say we see, let's, let's just say round of 16, Madison Keys is able to get there and she, and she plays Coco Goff in the round of 16. Who, the, who would you pick? Because I know who I would pick. You're going to pick Keys. It just depends how they looked on the way there. Like, you imagine if Keys gets there, that means she's serving lights out. But, I mean, Goff would be favored in that match. I can tell you that much. Sure, but should she be favored in that match? It's <sighs> a really good question. I mean, yeah, she should be. But so, it, it also shouldn't be by much. Like, at most, she's minus 150. Yeah. Here's what I'll say about about those two. I I think that Goff, in terms of like who's more likely to make the round of sixteen, it's Coco Goff. Who's more likely to win the tournament? It's Madison Keys, in my opinion. Fair. I think that's a very fair that's a very fair way of saying it. Hard to disagree with that. But again, with all of that in mind, David, it's gonna be a fun week. I'm not gonna ask you to make a prediction yet because. Quite frankly, it's just far too soon to even try and make some sort of prediction until we see the draws and, and know where everyone sits. It's just, again, impossible to know uh, exactly how things are going to look, but it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a fun fortnight over the next two weeks at Wimbledon, and hopefully— I, David- I hate that term, fortnight. It's oh, really- so I disagree. I hate when it's used anywhere but Wimbledon because Wimbledon's the fortnight. Nothing else is the fortnight. Wimbledon gets the pretentious, stuffy term because it's a pretentious— event. Um, but that's like, I, I know what you're saying. The only time I use Fortnite is for Wimbledon because okay. nothing is more British than a Fortnite. Okay. I'll give you that. I just, yeah. I don't know. It's a little, <laughs> Wimbledon as a whole, this is a whole nother discussion. I oh. hate, I hate a lot about Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, what year is it, David? It's 2022, right? And we're still wearing all white clothing <laughs> anywhere. Like maybe the dumbest thing in the world. Um, but as dumb as middle Sunday. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. You know what? We're not opening that can of worms. Cause I, I, cause then we got another 30 minutes in us, but again, with all that in mind, David, what can we expect from you throughout the course of this? Oh God, a lot of articles, uh, a lot of, hopefully not, uh, hopefully my predictions are better than that French open final prediction that we uh, <laughs> talked about. Right. Uh, that was, no, we, we were pretty, I thought we were pretty good. I didn't hate it. We, we had a good, a good sense. We had, we, we had good reasoning, I thought, but it we fell on our faces. Yeah, uh, fair. We very trying, fair, very fair. We we're trying to, uh, put, but anyways, we're there'll be a lot of Wimbledon coverage. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully my predictions go well, and I'm just, uh, 
I'm just really excited. It's, it's a, it is kind of crazy that we're already at another major. I feel like I've just kind of recovered from the French Open. But then after this is my favorite time of the tennis season, the U.S., because actually the time zone where I can actually uh, enjoy more tennis is the U.S. swing. So I'm excited about that, too. It's a fun stretch, no doubt about it. And I look forward to reading all of your pieces as well. Of course, again, this is Preview Podcast, one of about a dozen here at Cracked Rackets, just try to get all of you listeners prepped for the year's third Grand Slam. As David alluded to you, it does sneak up on you so fast. And so, of course, again, we'll have tons of information available for all of you listeners over the course of the next week. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos. He has a of an irony job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout-out as well to our friends, of course, at Turna. Email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turna family today. With all of that said, remember, David, great shot podcast. So, for... Our fantastic co-host today, David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners? I hope I'm going to get this right. Hey, great shot. I love it. That's Is that perfect, right? Is perfect that right? tone as well, David. <laughs> and of course, we will see all of you listeners tomorrow. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.